Section 5 of Swordsmen of Lost Terra by Paul William Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. Now the armies of Ganath moved against Riven City itself. From all the plundered empire they streamed in to ring the town in a living wall and hem the defenders within a fence of spears. And when the whole host was gathered, which took about ten sleeps from the time the colonners arrived, they stormed the city. Up the long slope of the hills on which Rivand stood, they came, running, bounding, holding up shields against the steady hail of missiles from the walls. Forward, silent and blank-faced, no noise in them save the crashing of thousands of feet and the high demon music of their war-making, dying, strewing the ground with their corpses, but leaping over the fallen and raging against the walls. Up ladders, rams thundering at the gates, men springing to the top of walls and toppling before the defenders and more of them snarling behind. Back and forth the battle raged, now the Ravinians driven back to the streets and rooftops. Now the Darklanders pressed to the edge of the walls and pitchforked over. Houses began to burn here and there, and it was Sothi who made fire brigades out of those who could not fight. Carey had a glimpse of her from afar as he battled on the outer parapets, a swift and golden loveliness against the leaping red. After long and vicious fighting, the northern gate went down. But Bram had foreseen this. He had pulled most of his barbarians thither, with Carey's bulls in the lead. He planted them well back, and had a small, stout troop on either side of the great buckling doors. When the barrier sagged on its hinges, the Ganasthi roared in unopposed, streaming through the entrance and down the broad, bloody avenue. Then the Kalorners thrust from the side, pinching off the several hundred who had entered. They threw great jars of oil on the broken gates and set them ablaze, a barrier of flame which none could cross. And then Kerry rode his bulls against the enemy and behind him came the might of Kilorn. It was raw slaughter. Ere long they were hunting the foe up and down the streets, and spearing them like wild animals. Meanwhile Bram got some engineers from Jonan's force, who put up a temporary barricade in the now open gateway and stood guard over it. The storm faded, grumbled away, and surges of blood and whistling arrows. Shaken by their heavy losses, the Darklanders pulled back out of missile range, ringed the city with their watchfires, and prepared to lay siege. There was jubilation in Riven. Men shouted and beat their dented shields with nicked and blunted swords. They tossed their javelins in the air, emptied wineskins, and kissed the first and best girl who came to hand. Weary, bleeding, reft of many good comrades, and given at best a reprieve, the folk still snatched at what laughter remained. 
Bram came striding to meet the queen. He was a huge and terrible figure, stiff with dried blood. The axe blinking on his shoulder and the other hairy paw clamped on the neck of a tall Darklander, whom he helped along with an occasional kick. Yet Sothi's dark eyes trailed to the slim form of Carrie, following in the chief's wake and too exhausted to say much. I caught this fellow in the streets, my lady, said Bram merrily, and since he seemed to be a leader, I thought I'd better hang on to him for a while. The invader stood motionless, regarding them with the chill yellow stare in which there lay an iron pride. He was tall and well-built, his black mail silver-trimmed, a silver star on the battered black helmet. The snowy hair and beard stirred faintly in the breeze. An aristocrat, I would say, nodded Sathy. She herself seemed almost too tired to stand. She was smudged with smoke, and her dress was torn, and her small hands bleeding from their recent burdens. But she pulled herself erect and fought to speak steadily. Yes, he may well be of value to us. That was good work. I, you men of Kalorn, fought nobly. Without you, we might well have lost the city. It was a good month when you came. It was no way to fight, snapped Jonan. He was tired and wounded himself, but there was no comradeship in the look he gave the northerners. The risk of it? Why, if you hadn't been able to seal the gate behind them, Rivan would have fallen then and there. I did not see you doing much of anything when the gate was splintering before them, answered Bram curtly. As it is, my lady, we've inflicted such heavy losses on them that I doubt they'll consider another attempt at storming, which gives us at least time to try something else. He yawned mightily. Time to sleep. Jonan stepped up close to the prisoner, and they exchanged a long look. There was no way to read the Darklander's thoughts, but Carey thought he saw tension under the general's hard-held features. I don't know what value a food-eating prisoner is to us when he can't even speak our language, said the Ravanian. However, I can take him in charge if you wish. Do, she nodded dully. Odd if he couldn't talk any Alordian at all, said Carrie. Wanderers through alien lands almost have to learn. The leaders of invading armies ought to know the tongue of their enemy, or at least have interpreters. He grinned with the cold savagery of the Broina. Let the women of Kalorn, the ones who've lost husbands today, have him for a while. I dare say he'll soon discover he knows your speech, whatever is left of him. No, said Jonan flatly. He signaled to a squad of his men. Take this fellow down to the palace dungeons and give him something to eat. I'll be along later. Carrie started to protest, but Sadi laid a hand on his arm. He felt how it was still bleeding a little and grew silent. Let Jonan take care of it, she said, her voice flat with weariness. We all need rest now. Oh, God's to sleep. The Kalorners had moved their wagons, 
and to the great forum and camp there, much to the disgust of the aristocrats and to the pleasure of whatever tavern keepers and unattached young women lived nearby. But Sadi had insisted that their three chiefs should be honored guests at the palace, and it pleased them well enough to have private chambers and plenty of servants and the best of wine. Carrie woke in his bed and lay for a long while, drowsing and thinking the wanderer's thoughts of half asleep. When he got up, he groaned, for he was stiff with his wounds and the long fury of battle. A slave came in and rubbed him with oil and brought him a barbarian-sized meal, after which he felt better. But now he was restless. He felt the letdown, which is the aftermath of high striving. It was hard to fight back the misery and loneliness that rose in him. He prowled the room unhappily, pacing under the glowing cressets, flinging himself on a couch and then springing to his feet again. The walls were a cage. The city was a cage, a trap. He was caught like a snared beast, and never again would he walk the moors of Killorn. Sharply as a knife thrust, he remembered hunting once out in the heath. He had gone alone, with spear and bow, and a shaggy, half-wild senor loping at his heels. Out after antlered prey, somewhere beyond the little village, long had they roamed, he and his beast, until they were far from sight of man, and only the great gray and purple and gold of the moors were around them. The carpet under his bare feet seemed again to be the springy, pungent ling of Killorn. It was as if he smelled the sharp wild fragrance of it and felt the leaves brushing his ankles. It had been gray and windy. Clouds rushed out of the west on a mounting gale. There was rain in the air, and high overhead a single bird of prey had wheeled and looped on lonely wings. Oh, almighty gods, how the wind had sung and cried to him, chilled his body with raw, wet gusts, and skirled in the dales and roared beneath the darkening heavens. And he had come down a long rocky slope into a wooded glen. A waterfall rushed and foamed along his path, white and green and angry black. He had sheltered in a mossy cave, lain and listened to the wind and the rain and the crystal ringing waterfall. And when the weather cleared, he had gotten up and gone home. There had been no quarry, but by Morna Abdaf, that failure meant more to him than all his victories since. He picked up the pipe of the gods, where it lay with his armor, and turned it over and over in his hands. Old it was, dark with age. The pipes were of some nameless iron-like wood, and the bag of a leather such as was never seen now. It was worn with the uncounted generations of Bruinas who had had it, men made hard and stern by their frightful trust. It had scattered the legions of the Southerners, who came conquering a hundred years ago, and it had quelled the raiding savages from Norla, and it had gone with one-eyed 
all right and shouted down the walls of the city and more than once on this last dreadful march it had saved the men of Kalorn. now it was dead the piper of Kalorn had fallen and the secret had perished with him and the folk it had warded were trapped like animals to die of hunger and pestilence in a strange land o riach riach my father come back from the dead come back and put the pipe to your cold lips and play the war song of Kalorn. carrie blew in it for the hundredth time and only a hollow whistling sounded in the belly of the instrument not even a decent tune he thought bitterly he couldn't stay indoors he had to get out under the sky again or go mad slinging the pipe over his shoulder he went out the door and up a long stairway to the palace roof gardens they slept all around him sleep and silence were heavy in the long corridors it was as if he were the last man alive and walked alone through the ruins of the world he came out on the roof and went over to the parapet and stood looking out the moon was near the zenith which meant at this longitude that it was somewhat less than half full and would dwindle as it sank westward it rode serene in the dusky sky adding its pale glow to the diffused light which filled all the twilight lands and to the white pyre of the hidden sun the city lay dark and silent under the sky sleeping heavily only the muted tramp of sentries and the ringing calls drifted up to carry beyond the town burned the ominous red circle of the ganasty fires and he could see their tents and the black forms of their warriors they were settling down to a patient death watch all the land had become silent waiting for Rivan to die it did not seem right that he should stand here among fragrant gardens and feel the warm western breeze on his face not when steadfast lewin and baroda the strong and gay young cormac his comrade were ashen corpses with the women of Kalorn keening over them. O oh, Kalorn, Kalorn, and the lake of sunset, have their ghosts gone home to you? Greet Morna for me. Cormac, whisper in the wind that I love her. Tell her not to grieve. End of section 5. Recording by Paul Harvey.